And we're back for another episode of Startup Hustle, a podcast for entrepreneurs by entrepreneurs. If you want to start, own, or build a business, then you're in the right place. We bring you the real truth about what it's like to take something from concept to launch, from growth, innovation, experience, failing, or winning big, we've got you covered. So let's get down to business with another episode of Startup Hustle, brought to you by Fullscale.io. And we are back. Thank you for joining us for yet another episode of the Startup Hustle podcast. I'm your host, Lauren Conaway, founder and CEO of Innovate Her KC, and I have to tell you about today's episode sponsor. Today's episode of Startup Hustle is sponsored by Canva. That is, Canva is an amazing tool and resource. You can go and collaborate to create amazing graphic designs for free. Whether it is a presentation to share an idea, a video to launch your business, a social post to start a conversation with Canva, you can design pretty much anything. They have all of these amazing templates. They have all of these assets that you can use to very, very easily create beautiful, stunning materials to share with your audiences. Discover the magic of visual communication and how Canva helps you create a lasting impact today. Visit canva.com to learn more. So we have with us a, a, a guest that I am very excited to talk to. Uh, I always love talking to folks from the Kansas City area. I always love talking to, to innovators. Uh, you know, that's, that's where my heart lies. But another interest of mine is education. And so today we have with us Panela Learn, Program Director and Lead Educator of World Builders Academy. So we are going to be talking about some exciting stuff. But first things first, Pan, thank you so much for being here with us today. Thank you for having me. I, you know, I, I'm super psyched. So I'm just going to go ahead and kick it right off. This is going to be great. So I'm going to ask you, my friend, tell us about your journey. Ha, huh, my journey. So I began World Builders Academy um, in my home, on my kitchen table. I've always wanted to sort of be a, um, an entrepreneur that started something from the kitchen table and went up from there. And um, the whole reason for it was because I wanted to bring to Kansas City the kind of school and the kind of learning environment that I just wasn't finding um, available to me in, in my area. And um, seven years later, here we are. We are in our own space. We went from the kitchen to a commercial space to now our own building with two acres that we are you know, living in and fleshing out and learning how to love so that we can grow and um, do all that sort of groundwork. So you're catching at us at a very exciting time. I, I love it. And we are we are definitely going to dive down deeply into the the I guess the pedagogy or the philosophy of World Builders Academy. But first things first, I want to talk to you. You said that you started a business at your kitchen table. And and that's essentially you started a school at your yes. kitchen table. <laughs> yes. And so so I wanna I wanna talk to you about that and I wanna drill down on that a little bit. Now I'm gonna be perfectly transparent with you and I'm gonna tell you that in in my world in my 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 paradigm education is not known for innovation you know for mm -hmm. by and large we are educating students in very similar ways to the ways that we did you know 100 years ago when we were an agrarian society or when we were mm -hmm. a you know a a manufacturing society 
Uh, and now we've kind of shifted to this like service economy and technology economy. And so I, I want to ask as, as an entrepreneur, because that's what you are, as well as an educator, what has it been like to create a learning environment that is unique and pushing the envelope and testing boundaries? Well, there's so much to touch on there. So, I mean, to, to go back to what you're reflecting on about um, sort of an antiquated uh, and sort of antiquated way of, of approaching education. Yeah, the education system we've had, and it's not a new idea that's out there, but some of my favorite educational thinkers have discussed this um, widely and expressed it widely that the Industrial Revolution brought about um, a major change in, in human and our, and our social evolution, um, but it has ended I think it is it is agreed upon that we have now entered a new age that I think most people are calling the digital age. And we are well into that, um, a decade, oh, yeah. maybe even two. And the idea that um, what is needed in the industrial age is not what is needed now necessarily. And what I mean by that is I tell my prospective parents all the time is um, really, what is this about in a nutshell? Well, if this was 1980, which I am the child of the 80s, and when you wanted information, you had to go to the library. You had to learn how to walk your fingers down a filing cabinet, you know, a little a little card catalog, and find the book you look you were looking for. Get that book, go home, and take the time to read that book, and do research that way. And frankly, that's just not the way we learn anymore. From every age, top to bottom, we are learning how to do things. Um, without a lot of what we would call sort of what would be traditionally called foundational background information. Um, I have one of my mentors, um, Donald Marinelli, over at um, the Carnegie Mellon School of Entertainment Technology. He said this to me one time. He said, um, they're making expertise, um, not a commodity anymore. And what he means yeah. by that, I think, is that you don't have to be a woodworker for 20 years to understand how to put together a cabinet. We can just go onto right. YouTube right now and any child can type the word in, make a cabinet. And maybe they wouldn't be able to do it depending on their age because of the tools involved, but it's all out there. And so right. um, to present education in a linear fashion um, all the time, it's not really a match to what is available because while a teacher in an authoritarian position might be able to say, you need to do A, B, C, and D, well, any child can go right home to their device or to, to any, any of their resources and just skip straight to G. And by then, yeah. you know, and they're bouncing back and forth. They do G first, then they do A, then they do C. Then they have to go back and maybe pick up B if it's fundamental mm -hmm. and on they go. And so the, the kind of environment we need to create for education, for forward thinking um, students is got to be responsive to our environment. Sure. No, I, I, that is fascinating. And I'll be honest, I hadn't even thought about it from from that particular point of view, you know, this wealth of information that is available to us at our, our fingertips, um, you know, specialization is becoming rarer. Like we're seeing more and more generalists, people who are able to access lots of different kinds of information. Um, so so that that's really interesting. Now, I, I'm, I'm very curious about your your education philosophy. Hmm. What would you say is kind of the primary bent or drive for World Builders Academy? Like if you were to talk to a parent or talk to a student and say, this is what we do, what do you do? 
We, I, I tell parents this all the time, and I also tell my students when the time is right, because we do have students that are in the grades as well as the early education stages of life. But when they're when they're ready for it, when they start questioning the validity of the work that we're doing, and they start asking me for grades, we don't do grades. And the reason why that is, is because learning has to happen when you're ready for it and when it's intuitive to you. I can tell you that I want to teach you the letter S today, but that's not where your head is then I can, I can throw all the worksheets, all of the cartoons, all of the games at you that I want. But if you're not ready to accept that information into your mind, then it, it could be like, you know, a, a, a large, what engineers would call loss of, of energy in that transfer, yeah. right? I put out a hundred percent, you maybe got five, but when your mind is in the right place in the right position to learn, and that is where we are in terms of educators here at the school, our jobs are to observe and watch the children, be with them, be present, be mindful and teach them through <clears throat> mentorship, through just modeling, how to be mindful of where they are. And as facilitators, we give them the opportunities that we feel like that they're ready for with our eye on, you know, logical progression of how you gain information because there is sure. a system, you know? So yeah, I would well, say that our, yeah, go ahead. Well, I was just going to say, I, I love that. And I, if you don't mind, I'm going to, I'm going to share a personal little anecdote and see okay. kind of how this, this fits in. Mm -hmm. So I, I am not now, nor have I ever been a stupid person, but <laughs> math has always been a little bit of a struggle for me. And yeah. I remember very clearly, like I was, I was fine at math. You know, I've, I've always been better at English, but I was fine at math. And then you hit third grade and in came the multiplication tables. Mm. And I understood the concept, but for whatever reason, I couldn't grasp as easily as my classmates seemed to. And it just took, it took a minute. And, and I think that that set me up for a, a lifetime of failure and frustration and fear of math because I, I was presented with information that I wasn't ready for, wasn't receptive to, wasn't able to, uh, I guess, I, I wasn't able to figure it out. And so then anytime math would come up, I would immediately throw up a wall and throw up resistance to that learning. Is that kind of what you're you're alluding to like let's well, present we, the information. Well, let's use math. Yeah, let's use math as a con as a construct for what what we do here. Um, yeah. Math is actually one of the skills that my children, boys or girls, um, are the most strong at. They they do very well with that, and it's because our approach is um, different than what say a larger public you know education system might be. Public education systems have other demands. They're asked to you know present children to be able to at the end of the year, pass certain, you know, milestones and tests, such as being able to add to 20 or subtract from one to 20. Whereas yeah. our approach is more about understanding numbers, understanding what they are and what they do, seeing the patterns in math, particularly is seeing patterns. Yeah. And that's something that children are particularly good at doing. So there's a lot of stats out there saying that girls fall off in math by third grade and, and boys excel more, even though girls are stronger earlier on. And what we have found is that when you teach them the why of why things mm -hmm. are, and you take the time to do that, that I tell my kids who are in first and second grade all the time, get these fundamentals down, just these things get really fluid. And we take a year to do what most, most schools and most systems take maybe two or three months to really do. And then the rest, they right. got to keep going, right? We got to keep going. But I said, if you get these skills down, then by, by, by the time you get it down, every math 
thing you have to do is going to be so much easier. And it, it's the sure. same with, with learning how to read. Um, uh, we do a lot of, like, I hear a lot about sight words, get these kids to memorize as many words as they can. Well, the human mind can only memorize so many words before you hit a kind of a cap with that. Why sure. don't we teach them how to think about letters, how letters play with each other so that they can tackle certain things that happen. So to go yeah. back to your original question, what is the point of the school? I tell the parents, it's not to get your kids into Ivy League. It is not to get them to become lawyers or doctors. It is to get them by the end of their 18th year to be able to say, I tried some things. I failed at some things. I know I'm good at these things. And more than that, I know a little bit about myself and I don't oh, need to be yes. sold. I don't need to be sold. Uh, this program's going to lead you to success because that's the kind of thing that we did in my generation. We were told, go to college, do the right thing, check all your boxes, yes. get all those A's and your life will be easy. And here we are frustrated, having experienced at least overworked, three, overtired, at stressed out, unhappy. <laughs> yeah. At least yes. three major economic slums that have really killed our productivity as adults. And none of it was exactly any singular person's fault. But we were promised something and we all worked for it. And then to have it kind of come out, now we're all kind of like, what are we about, right? As a oh, generation. <laughs> but I don't want that for my children. I don't want that for anybody's children because the, the resources are out there, but you have to be able to know how to ans ask the questions. And for if sure. you are trained to just follow directions for 18 years, all the way up until you get kicked out at high school, how do you know anything about yourself? Do you even know what question to ask? Yeah. What do you want to do when you grow up? And most kids are like, I'm trying this. You know, I had a college buddy who literally threw a pencil at the uh, college catalog to decide her major because she was she just didn't know. And I thought, I don't want that. And I and I can empathize with that because I, I felt that, too. Um, I actually, I actually picked my college major based on the fact that I only, I, I was an English major and uh -huh. I, I chose that because it was the only major in which I only had to take uh, one math course and then something <laughs> called an applied logic course. And I was like, okay, I'm out. Yeah. Uh, you know, I, I don't want to do that. Well, that, so that is, is fascinating. And, and so for our, our listeners, I, I want to point out there, I, I love this concept that you're introducing because in, in education, there is a concept called scaffolded learning. The fact, mm -hmm. the, the acknowledgement that in order to learn deeply about any subject, you have to start at a base and build a strong foundation and mm -hmm. then have a logical progression of knowledge that comes based on that base. So like when you're learning the alphabet, first you learn your letters and mm -hmm. then you learn short words and then you learn more mm -hmm. complex words and then you learn sentences and how they tie mm -hmm. together and then you learn. So you have to figure out what that progression looks like. And so what you're talking about is getting right to that source, getting right to that foundation and building up, building it up strongly and, and creating a foundation of understanding rather than rote memorization or, um, you know, just, you know, spitting out numbers or spitting out letters. Is, is that yeah. correct? Yeah, I would say that sometimes uh, because we are a private school that um, that people kind of automatically throw us in the nutshell, people are antithetical to public systems and and all of the beautiful research that has been done um, in education. And and I would say that we definitely are not um, against any of that. We, we believe in the science. We believe, yes, there is a progression to how people learn in terms of stages, like you had just outlined so beautifully. But 
there is also the element that cannot be easily quantified because we are human beings. And we need to right. remember that when we teach, we are teaching human beings. And what right. that means is that while you're learning your letters, how are you learning to deal with your frustration? How are you learning to deal with it when um, a friend doesn't do exactly what you want? How do you manage it when you're the leader in this moment, but no one's following your directions or vice versa? If you're not the leader, how are you being a good team member while yeah. you are learning how letters work together? This has to be together. This has to be fundamentally grown. Um, right now, the system is built to, to educate masses. And what that means right. is that you're hitting milestones in these quantifiable you know, um, marks. Can they write letters? Yes. Can they, can they read three letter words? Yes. But they're not as able to integrate that or braid it in beautifully. Right. How are you growing as a person? Because it matters less to me as your facilitator here at my school that you can get all your times tables memorized. If you are not a good team member, if you don't understand that after five minutes, you need to get up and walk around the room because your body needs that energy to be expelled in that way. And right. how are you, how are you when you fail? And that's so important to me because yeah. sometimes we get people who come in from the public, you know, a public system, they join our school and we spend almost, almost like I would say half to three quarters of the year, just reprogramming the, I can't, or the tell me what to do attitude. When the question is, what do you want to do? You have this available to you. We have yeah. all of these lab pieces available, but if you are not used to, again, asking the questions of yourself, understanding yourself, I'm sitting in this chair, but I really need to get up because I have, you know, um, a, a, a need in my brain to get up and shake my body, but I'm being told, and I've been trained to sit in this chair and be miserable. No, we look at you and we say, if you need to get up, then get up. I've looked yeah. at children. I've said, you have 20 problems to complete to practice this skill, but know yourself. I've observed that after five problems, you, your brain needs a break. So go and take that break, come back and finish. But depending on their age, especially as they get up to eight and more, I start putting on them their own responsibility. It is up to you to tell yourself to come back because you're old enough now that you know that you're taking that five problem break. You got to come back. And it yeah. takes off of my plate as a teacher of being a micromanager of people. I don't have sure. to say what I tell you, what I tell you, what I tell you. No, sir. I trust you because you are capable and you are allowed to fail here and I will be here to help. And that's what scaffolding means to me. And you said, of- you just said something really, really interesting to me. And, and, and I'm going <laughs> to, I'm going to tell another story. Here it comes. Yes, I, love them. I have so many stories. <laughs> uh, so, so when I, I, I think I told you, I used to work for an organization that did a lot of work around experiential learning and project-based real world education. And, and I and I loved my time there. But one of the things that we did is we we had a, uh, I guess a, it, it was an, it was an experience. It was a like a field trip day, but the intent was to connect students with entrepreneurs and have them solve a problem. We would present them with a problem uh, that was that was given to them by a community organization, and they would have an, a certain amount of time to work with this entrepreneur to come up with a, a solution and a pitch, and then they would pitch to a panel of judges. And the hope was that we would help these kids kind of get out of their own boxes. And and it was really interesting to me because more often than not, when 
we would first present the problem to the students and we gave them a lot of latitude and a lot of freedom to kind of decide how they wanted to move forward. The objective was always to have the students leading the process rather than the entrepreneur or the program facilitators. Right. Uh, but what was fascinating is we would, when we would first present the problem and just be like, okay, go, you have, you know, three hours, four hours or whatever. There was always this look of panic, like, mm-hmm. oh, I have no idea what to do here. And, mm-hmm. and so it, it's speaking to your point, you know, when we're talking, and again, I'm going to hearken back to the, the agrarian industrial society that we have kind of built our education system on. Mm-hmm. You know, we, we hear this concept of teaching to the test. You know, mm-hmm. we, we are wanting to hit those milestones, making sure that we have all of these very rigid set of expectations based on grade level, age, experience, all of that good stuff. But what happens there is, is you lose out on critical thinking. And mm-hmm. as we've moved to this digital age, you know, we have robots these days that can handle a lot of that industrial stuff. What we need are critical thinkers. We need Absolutely. people who can evaluate themselves and evaluate the community behind them. And more importantly, we need people who know how to learn. Um, you know, to your point, to your earlier point, we have all of these mechanisms for people to get information. We need critical thinkers who are able to say, this is a problem. This is what I need to learn. Mm. And here is how I go about finding that information and then applying it. And, mm-hmm. and so it's just really, I loved it because you're essentially setting students up for that kind of experience. And that's where you see a love of learning. I, I, I mean, that's like pure opinion, but people love learning when it is a fun and interesting and safe process for them. You know, you said you, you give them the freedom and the latitude to fail. You know, of course, when you're new at things and just learning things, you're gonna fail. Absolutely. And we have we have to create an environment where our students and our youth have the grace and space to do that and understand that failing is often just another way that something didn't work. Try again, you know? That's right. And failure is, is such a negative word, but I think, you know, we're in a state of, I think in our society where I feel like we're transforming meanings of words. And I think failure has got to be on the table because failure is not negative. You're not a loser if you fail and they're right. still so pervasive. But this idea of teaching confidence is something that we have to do early. And yeah. um, we, we are inspired by uh, uh, respectful infant educating philosophy. We are inspired by the Reggio Emilia uh, philosophy. And both of those philosophies are um, surrounding um, the principle of respect and, and respect of the child respect of the teacher, respect of the families, and that these are sort of threefold um, pieces, major pieces of the learning environment. It's not just how come my teacher isn't teaching my kids what they need to know? How come you're not doing your job? You know, how, and then the yeah. teachers may turn around and say, how come you're not doing your job at home? And, and, and it creates this dichotomy that is not um, accurate. We all work together in community. And this idea of standardizing things it's so silly because you can't, we do cooking classes here and we sometimes we make dumplings for instance, and that's a new experience for most of our kids. We can't tell the kids, everybody make this dumpling at this in five minutes, every one of you, whether they've done it or not, and expect that outcome to be exactly the same and be rigid. And there's a right. way to get them to do it, but it's not joyful. We've learned that we have to be able to teach them personal confidence early. We started right. with sort of the standard pre-K age in my home. And then I realized that we needed to go younger. 
And in fact, I used to work in, in, in college level um, learning and I was walking around several sort of Ivy League campuses that I've had experience in. And I looked around at the kids there and I said to myself, what's different from like, what makes these children distinguished? And they are distinguished. I mean, to get into a good institution like that, I think you, you have to be to some measure. What makes them different than what, you know, someone might say with a lower tone state school kids. And I was a state school kid or community college kids. And really there's no difference. The only real difference though, if there was one is perhaps they were given latitude and the freedom to experiment. They were given the ability to observe others in action. Dentists' children become dentists, that kind of thing, right? They just see it. They see the world and they understand it from that view. We don't ask them to understand more than they're capable. I started saying to myself, no, no, high school. We need to go back to high school so that they can be enabled by college. Then I said, no, no, middle school. And I very quickly learned, no, no, earlier, earlier, earlier. And that's where I discovered Rye. Uh, respectful infant educating, it really goes back to the very beginning. And when yeah. we train our, our infants in what we do, and it sounds silly, right? Because they're infants. Most people think just change your diaper, feed them, they're happy. No, there's another element there we must feed into. And that is to make themselves aware. They are going through a journey of discovering the new world that they are in, and they don't need to be rescued out of every situation. You create yeah. a safe environment for them and it allows them to create confidence within their own bodies. Children who grow in confidence do not, for example, hurt themselves as men as much. They don't climb up to heights that they are not capable of climbing down. They yeah. they understand their own body cues as to, oh, this feels like danger to me. And that is the seed that grows into a child that becomes confident to say, I'm trying this thing. It's frustrating me. I can't do it is what I hear a lot. But then a child in confidence yeah. goes, I'm going to try again. And and that's really where it starts. And that's why we go to the I, ages I love that. that. Yeah. Well, it, it, so that, that you, you, you've just made like 20 different powerful statements and I like <laughs> just a little note for you. Like I, so I think I, I told you in our pre-show prep, like I have this notebook here and I write down the things that I think are interesting and the things that I want to drill down on. And you are the, the first entrepreneur in a while, the first guest in a while where my page is already completely covered with notes. I'm just like, Oh, oh there's so many things I want to talk about. But one of the things that I want to talk about right now is I, I just want to remind our listeners that today's episode of Startup Hustle is sponsored by Canva. With Canva, you can design your ideas, your ideas with ease. You have total control. Uh, All it takes is you just, whatever you can imagine, you can get it down onto, you know, onto your digital asset. You can get inspired. They have over 500,000 free templates. They have a rich content library. I personally love doing, uh, they have a bunch of really cool videos. I found a really neat shark one uh, the other day that I used for something. It was so fun. Like they have all kinds of cool stuff. I'm constantly finding new tools and new, new assets to use and integrate into our digital marketing. Uh, they, all of these things can help you and your team achieve your goals. I think we all know that content marketing is kind of the wave of now and the wave of the future that we're writing and Canva helps you do it easily. It helps you create beautiful assets. Definitely sign up, start designing for free at canva.com. Now, Pam, you said that you had used Canva before, right? What's been been your experience? Well, I'm a, you know, I'm a designer by trade. So I used to do uh, interactive children's museums and uh, educational spaces like that, all the way to theme parks. And I appreciate a beautifully designed thing that I'm asked to look at. 
So when for it comes sure. to a boring 90s PowerPoint, no more. We use Canvia all the time for when we want to make presentations. Um, and I, I, again, I learned about it in college and I haven't stopped using it since. Um, yeah. And that's been some years. So they've gotten their time with me. Yeah, it's it's been it's like a, so Canva is like a thousand steps above the clip art of old, of old that we remember. Yeah. Like, yeah, yeah. I mean, Let's just super no slickly designed stuff. And I, I'll tell you that I I do actually talk to folks in the innovator community uh, on a regular basis. And anytime somebody asks about graphic design, we have people come in and be like, "Use Canva," and I'm like, "Heck yeah, use Canva. It's amazing. Right. <laughs> it's so easy." Uh, all right. Well, so so folks, we are here with Panelo Learn of World Builders Academy. We are we're talking about all kinds of things, but really we're talking about uh, we're talking about the power of teaching our youth and fostering and facilitating our youth loving themselves, knowing themselves and helping present themselves to the world in a in useful and happy making ways and and i love that because i i I think you're absolutely right i feel like that is kind of the foundation of creating fulfilled satisfied productive people you know and and like i said earlier like critical thinkers learners people who love who learn because they love learning rather than because they were forced to you know uh and so so i love that now now i want to ask you this I, I want to talk to you about your very, very specific tactics, because one of the things that we talked about in pre-show prep, we talked a little bit about design thinking, and I think you and I share an interest and an appreciation for that. But can you talk to us about uh, some of the, I guess, the the tactical ways that you engage with students to get them where you want them to be? Well, we've talked a lot about it already, I think. So again, as a designer, I have a real appreciation for um, anyone who's taken the time to sort of quantify what it is, this this sort of ethereal blob of how do you get people to understand themselves. And one of the ways that I think helps us answer that question is the design thinking process. Designers have to look, their first step is to look at what is there, right? And that is something that I think many grownups could get a lesson in. Don't try to wish for things to be there that aren't there. You need to just work with what's there. Your limited resources as they are, you as you are. You wish you were smarter, faster, brighter, but maybe you're not. And so you've got to start there. Then you have to ask the question of what you're trying to achieve. That helps you gain focus and help you gain understanding. After that, you break it down in steps in iterative processes of trying something, failing, trying again, testing it, asking others what they think. Again, that community, that feedback, being a team member, and then doing it again. And that is so important. That in particular is what is different about looking at education from a non-design approach to a design approach, because lessons are linear in regular schools, aren't they? They go from this to this, and every science experiment is successful because it is designed to be so. There is no variation in in your circumstance. So everybody's uh, you know, vinegar and baking soda will always fizz right on cue. Whereas if you have to iterate through that process to get that to happen, it teaches you that failure is not negative, that it is just the next step to the next step. Right. It's, also, a, it's a progression or an evolution. That's for sure. right. And also that there is no end. We yep. always think of things with an end. Graduation, it's an end and we win. But there is no, yeah. nothing like that now. And certainly the world doesn't support that anymore. So yeah. um Design thinking, I think, is a powerful way 
for, and, and there are a lot of schools and a lot of public districts and a lot of um, initiatives to kind of get that. But I think we're in a shifting moment where people are still being taught how to be teachers of that sort of antiquated system, but then they're all so invested as well. Every teacher I know wants to do this other thing and they want to be able to quantify it and, and make that measurable so that it can be passable to the powers that be. So, right. um, yeah, so I, I, I think that it's, it's really the way forward, whether you're a design uh, person or an artist or, or someone who thinks in that realm or not, um, it just makes the most sense. For sure. Well, so, so just a, a little context for, for our listeners at home, when we're, when we're talking about design thinking, which, it, which is exactly what Pan is talking about here, there, there are five different stages, and I'm not going to go into super deep detail, but first is empathize, researching your user's needs, mm -hmm. uh, defining the, the problem. And, and this one is really interesting to me, and I'm going to give you yet another example. So I told you about this competition that mm -hmm. uh, I used to help kind of facilitate and so this was really interesting. We were working with a financial institution. And when we went in, they, they, the question that was being asked was, how do we, or how might we, because that's how you, you know, state the problem, but how might we engage youth to use banking products, right? Mm -hmm. And what was fascinating is I think all of us, the adults, the facilitators, the, the folks from the, the financial institution, we were all expecting the kids to come up with like apps and, you know, different <laughs> banking products and things like that. But what was fascinating was in, in the empathizing and the research phases and the ideation phases of, of this process, we found that the students, more often than not, were asking the question, like, why has no one taught us financial literacy at this point? Like, you're <laughs> asking us to, to talk about, like, banking products, but we don't even know what a CD is. And we don't <laughs> know the process of starting opening a savings account. And we don't know about interest. And we don't. And so, so what was fascinating is the problem that this institution thought they had was not the problem that they actually had. Yeah. And that came out during the empathy and the definite, like defining the problem, defining the user's needs. We yeah. figured out that what they actually needed was financial education. They were like, hey, bring us pizza at a lunch break at our school and teach us about financial topics. You know, that's yes. actually what we need. And mm -hmm. so we were able to like kind of circumvent the we, I think that the bank was planning on doing like all of these very expensive products and technical tools. And really all they needed to do was engage around this topic with these kids and teach these kids, you know, this is what these things are. This will set you up for financial success. And right. so that, that definition of the problem is hugely important. Then you have a stage three, which is ideation. That's where you're coming up with ideas. No, no idea is bad. There is often a, ger a germ of truth in the ideas that you come up with, even if they're silly. I mean, you could be like, hey, I want to have, you know, giraffe butlers on Mars. Mm -hmm. All right, well, maybe there's something in there. Like maybe what it is, what you actually need is capacity building. That's what the butlers bring. Um, <laughs> I don't know. Ideation, prototyping, you know, coming up with the test of your solution. Like what is the best way to bring that solution to market or to use it in your life? And then trying it out. Does this work? What doesn't work? What can we fix? So, so that's kind of the design thinking process that we're talking about here. And you, you, you mirrored that process just beautifully, but I wanted to name the steps really quickly. No, and it's, <laughs> it's important to note that, you know, it, 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 when I was, when I was in my, my youth, my college 
there wasn't anybody really using that term, but it is now it's a, it's a real word. I mean, it's a Webster verified design thinking is a word. So your listeners can definitely look into it. It's a real um, thing. Well, yeah, it, it, now it's, it's an established thing, right? Yeah. Designers yeah. Have, and artists have been using this process um, for, for all of human history. So what I think is important is that um, your listeners can can know is it's not like when I was a kid uh, in college and things that design thinking wasn't a real term. It was a process that has been used um, since the beginning of time by human beings, by artists, you know, most most obviously mm-hmm. and designers. And, and now it's we're in this exciting time now where people can actually Google the words design thinking and there are actually free courses in design thinking. And I think that you that you could use to apply to different points in your life. And I, I'm just thrilled to see that design thinking in this process is now sort of getting that C-level recognition that yeah. um, I think it deserves. <laughs> it's it's definitely hit the, the, you know, the worldwide global vernacular for sure. I think so, uh, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, well, and what I love is, you know, it, it's a way, it, well, so design thinking is above all, it's a problem-solving methodology. You know, it provides a framework. And so if you if you have a problem or if you have a challenge or an obstacle or an opportunity, even, you know, design thinking is going to give you a, a roadmap to a, or an option of a roadmap as to how to solve it. Um, mm. And so, so that's what I love about it, you know, because often really intuitive, it's an intuitive yeah. approach, you know, I mean, we all naturally kind of do it and, and, but to have it all quantified and, and labeled and, and understood. Damn, so everybody's sort of on, can be on the same page about where we are. It's like, no, 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 this isn't the finished product. I'm iterating. Like, it's, it's right. just very nice to be able yeah. to say, you know? Well, and I mean, to your earlier like point, it is, it yeah. is never the finished product. Like, there's no right. such thing. So in, right. in Japan, they have this concept called Kaizen. And mm. that that just means continuous improvement. The fact mm. that, you know, once you, you, you think you've finished, you've never really finished because there's mm-hmm. always an opportunity to streamline and make it better. And, you know prototype, test, reiterate, you know, figure out it's never going to be perfect, but you can always improve. And I, I love that concept. <laughs> yes. yes. And, and trying to bring that in, you know, down to the, to the foot soldier, to the foot soldier level of what we're doing every day, you know, cause all of these wonderful theories and philosophies and pedagogies that are being developed on paper sounds so great, but then we do the hard work of implementation. And the yep. implementation is where we are. We are iterating through implementation. That's why we're on Startup Hustle because we're we're just figuring it out, but we know it's a good thing and we know it's the way to go. And if we right. can make it be something that is scalable, that that is something that is sustainably stable, that can be brought to a mass audience in terms of like numbers, um, yeah. I just think that that can't be anything but positive to start Absolutely. from respect and move forward from there. Yeah. Well, and to to bring it all back around full circle, I I love the fact that you are equipping our youth from a very early age, Uh, because when you start at an early age, that's when these concepts and that's when these things, these learnings get reinforced, and then you you continue to reinforce them over the course of a lifetime. But, you know, you're, you're equipping your students and you're equipping our children, the the generations of leaders and, and folks that'll be running the world someday. You're equipping not, them. You know, it's fine. What what I makes know. them find their joy? You They're know, gonna be, so. you know, I mean, I don't, I don't care. Like you could be running yeah. your household, you could be running your car, like it doesn't even matter. But you know, at some point these folks are gonna have to be decision makers. At yes. some point these folks are gonna have to figure out what they wanna do with their lives and who they wanna be and how they wanna be and mm-hmm. take action. And you're 
but you're providing them with a really strong foundation for that. Like here are some tactics and things that you can do to figure that out. And here are ways that you can listen to yourself and the world around you to be better present. And and so I, I just, I love the fact that you're creating an environment. I don't, I don't think you're getting too like stultifying or too prescriptive, but you're creating an environment that fosters those kinds of attitudes and that knowledge and allows it to flourish. So, yeah. so good on you. I'm, I'm giving you a round of applause. Thank you. Uh, <laughs> it's like, it's like clapping for someone in the middle of a marathon. I very much feel. Yeah, well, for sure. And I'm I mean, honestly, I appreciate it, but I'm still running right now. So I, I will, again, I with that, that iterative process, like the marathon yeah. is probably never, ever going to be over, but you, yes. have, you're, I would say that you're a pioneer. Um, I mean, I know oh. that these concepts are starting to be talked about within education, but you're already doing it. On the shoulders uh, of clients, on the shoulders. Yeah, of <laughs> for sure. No, I, 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 and I totally understand that too. People are like, innovators of movement. And I'm like, uh, yeah, but it, it, we didn't start it. Like we, yeah. we built on what was already there. <laughs> and then I'm at some point, it will hand off to someone else. Yeah. 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 <laughs> well, so, so, so that is absolutely fantastic. And I, I cannot you. tell you how enthusiastic I am about you and the work that you do. I hope you love it. Do you love it? Of course, I love it. Um, okay. We are not we are not at the stage where we can do this and not love it. And I don't yeah. think that that'll ever happen. You know, that's right. People... Like if you got into it for the money, you got into the wrong thing. Yeah. <laughs> what about that course again, you were talking about. No, um, I, I think what's yeah, I, I think what's incredible is that what we're here to do is to build frameworks. We are not the answer. We are not going to solve problems that people might be looking for us to solve in the way that I think some people look at the public school and, and again, may blame and may point fingers. No, no, no. What we're here to do is to create an environment where framework um, for someone, because they're not here forever. And I tell them, my oldest students that I was like, I can't be next to you next year or whatever to answer this for you. And then if they try to answer each other's questions, I'll say, are you agreeing to be with her for the rest of her life to help her spell those words? No, then you better let her figure out how to do that because, you know, otherwise you're signing yourself onto something else, you know? And so with that framework, they can edit it. They can take away parts that they thought they knew about themselves and they can change it and they can grow in it. And by the end, I hope to meet a lot of my students again when they're my age and and hopefully they can reflect back on the years that we've had together with positivity and, oh, I get it, you know, kind of this, which is what I get to enjoy from thinking about my my influential teachers and educators in my past. Sure. Oh, they were trying to tell me something. I get it now. And and there's joy in that as well. And oh know, man. Ties that back into the joy of being alive, you know? <laughs> that is that is that is a lovely lovely notes to close out on like what what does the future look like and I, I i i love hearing that your ideal future is meeting your your students in the future and finding them where they want to be you know again like that that happy satisfied productive you know knowing themselves understanding the world around them having deep connection to the world around them and you know figuring out how how they want to show up in the world that that that's a question I think every person should be asking themselves, how do I want to show up and what actions and what thoughts will it take to get me there? So, so I love that. I am, I am going to ask you the human question. Are you ready? Yeah. Okay. So I'm going to go, I feel like this is kind of a softball, but all right. So this is not the human question. This is a context question, but do you like music? 
Love it. I was a musician. Okay. Good. I was so I actually asked this question once of a guest, and they were like, "I don't really listen to music," and I was like, "I don't know what to do with that now." Uh, <laughs> but, but your question is, uh, what what music are you listening to right now that is is bringing you joy? Mm, you know, I just recently re watched a movie that brought my Mariah Carey back into my back into my life. And listen, my girls do Cindy Lauper. Mariah Carey, Whitney Houston. We hit all the '90s. We haven't got oh, any further. All those beautiful divas. I'm telling you. Anytime you want to rock out, I'm I'm for it. '90s. Wait, you're gonna, wait we're gonna get some Madonna in there though, right? Like oh, early, like '80s, '90s Madonna. Oh yeah. It's just I just watched a movie with Mariah Carey, and it's just she's the only one spinning in my head. You know. Wait, wait, wait. <laughs> yeah. What was that movie she was in? Was it Glitter? Did you just watch Glitter? I did. did you just watch Glitter? I just watched a movie called Free Guy, and it's amazing. Okay. So my, okay. My, my now favorite movie for the moment. Okay. Well, I'm gonna have to check that out because I did. I did. Well, I just be I read an article that reminded me of Glitter, and I was like, oh, that was such a not lovely, glitter. wonderful travesty of a movie. It was so terrible. No, it was great. I love her musicality. <laughs> I'm not a huge fan of like her as a you know Kardashian type personality. I'm not really into that. Yeah. But when you walk by every night, talking sweet and looking fine, I'm there. <laughs> <laughs> Walk by every night. That makes me really, really happy. Okay. Oh, and a little bit of Mariah trivia for you. Oh, um, no. So Mariah has a, so she has what, what we call, what vocalists call a strong whistle voice. She mm -hmm. has a command of over five octaves, which yes. is pretty rare, rare as far as vocalization. And mm. much like uh, Minnie Ripperton, who came before her, she could technically be classified as a musical instrument in her oh. album liner notes. Did you know that? Because she has such I a wide range. Yeah, I didn't know so, she was technically a musical instrument. That's so exciting. Technically, but I technically if you if you go above five a five octave range, you can be categorized as a musical instrument because you have so many octaves at your command. Uh, you know, uh, I, 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 I was always there. super jealous. <laughs> I'm be there. My voice is doing what Joni Mitchell's did. You know, it's just going down and lower yeah, and lower. Yeah, yeah. Same, same. <laughs> I'm, I'm pretty sure that by the time I'm 80, I'm going to like sound like a five pack a day smoker. Just <laughs> <laughs> and I think I'm okay with that. Like, I'm just going to be like the cranky, salty old broad, like dead eye and teenagers, you know, that's going to be me. <laughs> that's me too but i'm not smoking all the time which makes it seem like i i'm not getting you know i'm not getting my due but being a teacher i talk all the time so my voice is getting getting used in a different yeah. way yeah well i i cannot tell you how uh, grateful i am that you took the time to chat here on the show today this has been wonderful i hope our listeners have enjoyed the conversation because i know that i certainly have thank and you so duet. much for taking the time Yes, yeah. that, I think that's Anytime. actually the first time I've done a new one on Startup Hustles. So thank you for that. Yes. <laughs> exactly. Uh, one, absolutely. Well, once again, uh, we want to give a huge thank you to today's episode sponsor, Canva. With Canva, you can work together with your team from wherever. They make it super easy. Get on the same page as your team with seamless real-time collaboration. Now, we, we want to ask you, what are you going to design today? Because Canva is there to empower you to do so. You can explore and start designing for free at canva.com. 
Also, want to mention, if you are existing in the e-commerce space, if you want to sell things online, if you want to sell things on Amazon, definitely keep an ear out for episodes hosted by Andrew Morgans. He is our resident e-commerce expert. He's going to help you get to the next level. Uh, so, so definitely keep an eye out for those episodes. He is going to share a whole lot of information that's going to help you level up and hopefully make a lot more money. Uh, friends, we are so grateful that you take the time to listen to us week after week. Keep on coming back. We love sharing the stories of founders, entrepreneurs, uh, influencers, thought leaders with you. It's one of my favorite things to do. Thank you so much for joining us and we will catch you on the flip side. Startup Hustles brought to you by Fullscale.io, helping you build a software team quickly and affordably. Make sure you reach down and hit that subscribe button, then come find us on Instagram. See you next time.